I was thinking about sheep, how they can't choose their own shepherd. They really don't have that capacity, right? You're kind of born into a flock and you, you have the shepherd you have. You can't like switch, uh, except the shepherd pawns you off or sells you. But we, as children of God, we get to choose. We get to choose who will be our good shepherd, and that's Jesus. And before God, we stand justified by grace through faith. And since God has given such grace to us, that ought to mark our lives and character. It should season the way we speak. It should affect the decisions we make and how we view others. There's a song that we sing. It's called In Tenderness. And it says, In tenderness he sought me, weary and sick with sin, and on his shoulders brought me back to his fold again. Oh, the love that sought me. Oh, the blood that bought me. Oh, the grace that brought me to the fold of God. So that God has purchased us he has sought us, and he has brought us by his grace. We, we don't deserve such favor, but he's given it to us. It was J. Vernon McGee that said, Grace is a way to life and a way of life. And that's really true, isn't it? That if we have received such grace from God, and that's the only way we can be saved, not through the works of the law, we can't be justified, but by grace, the favor of God, it's kindness that we don't deserve. Have you guys ever heard of a grace period? It's usually a pretty short period, right? A grace period. When you buy an appliance or something, you have three months that you could return it, or that's actually quite long, maybe 30 days, and you could return it, no questions asked, you get your money back. And that's kind of how we can approach relationships with people. This is a bit of a grace period. Even for our kids, we've given them some correction, and so then there's this period where we'll extend some grace, but the whole concept of a grace period means that there's an end to it. It doesn't keep going. But God's grace toward us, it's not just a period of time where he's like, well, you're new to the fold, so I'll be nice to you for a while, uh, but now you got to shape up. No. God keeps giving grace. He gives more grace. And that's really impossible for our natural minds to comprehend what that costs, how to, how to manage that. Because we think, at a point... Really, the, the grace needs to end, and we need to get to business. We need to be strong on this. But, you know, grace is not soft. God is strong, he is mighty, and he's also gracious and loving. And it's very difficult. I think it's impossible to find a perfect antonym of grace when you think about God's grace. Sure, if, you, if grace just means um, able to do a dance gracefully, well, you could be clumsy. But God's grace... There's no antithesis of it. it. There's just nothing that quite sums up how great his grace is because it's, it's not of this world and it can't be found here. So praise God for his grace that uh, has been given to us. And as, as he's freely given it to us, it should permeate us and flow to others. So we'll be in Acts 15, verse 22. And let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the grace that you've given us. Open our eyes to see how amazing and marvelous and miraculous it is. Not, not that we would uh, idolize grace in a sense, but Lord, we would worship you and praise you for the kindness that you have shown us, for the mercy you've lavished upon us, for the goodness you continue to show us even though we have failed and we continue to falter. Even when we rebel, Lord, you're still gracious to us and good. Thank you that you are just. Thank you that you are holy and you will uphold the truth. We, we so delight in you, Lord. Please give us eyes to see and ears to hear today. 
Soften our hearts to receive your grace and to pass it on to others in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace is a theme that's permeated throughout the entirety of Scripture. One of my favorite Old Testament references to it, it's not said by name, but we see it displayed. It's in Deuteronomy 7, 7, and 8, God speaking to his people. It says, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It's, you can almost stop right there. The Lord didn't choose you because you were more numerous or mighty, but because he loves you. Full stop. That's why he did it. It is true that he was keeping his word that he had given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would bring them out. But it was overshadowed by his love for them. I love that the love is in present tense. So it says, the Lord did not deliver you in the past because you were so great, but because he loves you, not because he loved you. He loves you. So God loves us. Despite, and, and he kept, and he said this to people who were what? Rebellious and um, embittered, stubborn, faithless, murmuring. And he says, the Lord loves you. That's why he brought you out. And he's going to keep his word. But let's receive that love. Spurgeon wrote, Can pride and grace dwell in one place? They squeeze in somehow, but they cannot agree. And when the church was young, the gospel of grace through faith was beginning to be undermined by the Jews who claimed you needed to keep the law to be saved. You needed to be circumcised according to the law of Moses to be saved. And this departure from salvation by grace through faith was a serious issue. It threatened to divide the church. And so Paul and Barnabas, they traveled with people who made this claim to Jerusalem. And it, it came up there too, where not only in Antioch, but in other places, the believers, many from a Jewish background, said, well, yeah, you've got to keep the law as well to be saved. And after much dispute, Paul spoke, Peter spoke, James and others, they presented some guidelines for how to live in a way that, that kept from offending the Jews. Because the Jews are saying, hey, you need to keep the law. They didn't want to become Gentiles in their conduct because the law was good. But they decided, but can you hear me? Ah, there it is. Okay, hopefully the batteries are good in this one as well. So it was the law that was necessary, but they would be gracious in their conduct, realizing the background of these people. So that was the, the decision, and they, they all agreed. So Acts 15.22, Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. The apostles, elders, all the church together, they agreed with the things that um, James suggested, and we'll get into those when we read the letter that he wrote to them. But they said it's really important that we send men to notify these other churches that have this question about the, the church decision, where we stand doctrinally, and to clarify it so people can be on board. They had a consensus, and, and what's so cool is they came together with different views, right? They were having strong disputes about what they, their conduct was supposed to be. But after speaking with one another, being led by the Spirit, those who were on the wrong side of it, they weren't embittered, 
And those who uh, held to the truth, they weren't arrogant or boastful. And they came to an agreement where they were all very glad with the outcome. That just shows the meekness of God's wisdom. It's not domineering. It's not forceful. It's not you get in line or else. It says the truth. It does not compromise the truth. But there's a grace to it. And there's a yielding. We read of this in James 3. So why don't you turn there? James 3, starting in verse 13, seeing that James was the one who gave that final word to the church that said, hey, lest we trouble the Gentiles, let's let's instruct them in these areas and tell them they need to, to uh, be careful. This is what he wrote in James chapter 3, 13 through 18 of God's wisdom. And this wisdom is not just for leaders in ministry, uh, but for all Christians. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him by good conduct show that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The world's wisdom is very much about promoting self, protecting self. But God's wisdom is marked by purity first. It promotes peace with God and other people, and it's willing to yield. It's In, in the King James, it says, easily entreated. Have you ever met with someone who has a really strong view and and you really can't even engage in a conversation with them because they're so adamant in their position where they, they won't, it doesn't even feel like they're listening. And we can be that person. But willing to yield, easily entreated, where people feel like I can go up and talk to this person and have a different view and not be shouted down. That's the meekness of God's wisdom. Full of mercy without partiality. So favoritism or hypocrisy. An agreement had been reached with the leaders in the congregation. Men were sent out so that everyone could be in agreement concerning what had been decided. And just recently, I realized something I just never thought of before. The notable difference between agreement and compliance. When this letter was sent out, it could have been in the heart of, you know, hey, this is what was decided. You need to comply with it. And compliance is good enough for the law, but not for grace. Grace is about agreement. There's a huge difference between agreement and compliance. Would you agree? Huge difference. How often we can mandate something and we say, and I can be content with compliance. As long as someone is doing the thing they're supposed to be doing, I can feel good about it. But is that agreement? No. And what really struck me is if I can be satisfied with compliance, like as long as they're compliant, as long as they're keeping the rules, I'm happy. Well, could it be that I'm content to be compliant with God rather than in agreement with him? Significant. So the way that we approach it, it's really, uh, 
I, I can't stop short of agreement with God. I must be in agreement with him, not just complying. Like, okay, God, you told me to do that, so I'll do it. I have a responsibility. I gave my word. But what about grace? Are we going to walk in grace before God and extend grace to men? We're different people. We have different gifts and talents, different perspectives. It was Spurgeon who also said, Your shoes will not fit everybody, nor will your ways, methods, and beliefs suit all people. Do not try to force them upon others. I kind of had an interesting picture with us all trying to wear the same style and size shoe. We wouldn't be walking very freely, would we? It would be pretty painful. Blisters and difficulty. Though we, though we may not wear the same style or size shoes, we can all agree to walk together. And as children of God, that's what we're called to. To walk in the meekness of God's wisdom. Not to demand compliance to a law, but to foster agreement with one another. Like, let's agree with each other. Let's agree to love each other. Let's agree to extend grace to each other. And as we do that, we will be able to walk together. Even with differences. Acts 15.23 They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas, and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. The church in Jerusalem, they show initiative in claiming responsibility should there have been any confusion. So they say, we've heard that certain people went out from us and they troubled you. They confused you by saying you have to be circumcised. You need to keep the law to be saved. We never said that. We never told them to tell you that. And instead of sending out a letter by heralds who just, you know, tack, tack it up in the church for people to read and try to figure out, or heralds to just broadcast it as law, they send it by the hands of brothers to explain it. And this is really useful, that they could explain, hey, this was our process in coming to this. Uh, We can answer questions. They had been involved with the decision process as well. They were also not sent to every church in the Gentile regions, but to Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Those who were not troubled or unsettled, those who weren't even having this question in the Gentile regions, they didn't bother bringing into it. And that's really a wise thing, where people who weren't previously troubled with the confusion weren't now troubled by this decision that they're like, well, what's that about? If Laura and I have a disagreement, I don't need to broadcast it to the children or write a blog post or make a Facebook thing about how we've come to this agreement, right? It's between us. So it stays there. It doesn't need to go everywhere. And so it was sent specifically to the churches where this was a thought that you had to keep the law to be saved. And they um, they sent it out not to create a new set of laws to follow, 
but to instruct Gentiles how they could show love to Jews who were brought up and would be offended from the gospel if they continued in this these uh, just Gentile life, the way that Gentiles lived. Uh, the Gentiles did not keep need to keep the Mosaic law to be saved, and the, Gen- the Jews did not need to become Gentiles and throw the law out the window to be saved either. The letter said, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. The order is really important here. It wasn't the idea of man, the consensus of men, rubber stamped by the Holy Spirit. It was the Lord who led them to it, and they agreed with him, right? They agreed with God. And because they were all filled with the Spirit, the people in that meeting, they knew that those who were outside of their group filled with the Spirit, they also would be in agreement because it's the same Spirit who filled them. They would be in agreement with the Word of God. The careful observation of these things wasn't a matter of salvation, but it would demonstrate love and grace to others. This care for others that requires personal sacrifice, it's relevant for us today, isn't it? If we love people, we need to put their needs above our own, that they are more important than I am. What I feel like doing, what they feel is important too. It goes beyond uh, politeness or common courtesy. Love for God and others, it causes us to deny ourselves and to abstain from practices which could be a potential stumbling block from others. And Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, everything is lawful for me, but not everything is helpful. And the context is, is helpful for others. It's not beneficial to others if I do things around them when it is against their conscience. And he says, with a clear conscience, I could eat any meat that's sold in the shops. Because I, even if it was given to an idol, it doesn't trouble me because idols are nothing. And the world is the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So God's given us meat for food. And I can eat that meat with a clear conscience. Yet if I go to the shops and my Christian brother is like, hey, that meat has been sacrificed to an idol. It's not right to eat. And Paul goes, okay, for the same reason, we don't have to eat that meat. So he would choose to not eat the meat around the brother who could be stumbled by it because um, of love for that person and love for God. So our convictions don't need to change based upon those who were around, but our conduct should take their convictions into account when we're with them. So we can walk in agreement when we're conscious of the conscience of others. Right? You guys hear what I'm saying? So in 1 Corinthians 10, 29, because of course our flesh goes, wait a second. If it's, if I don't have to sacrifice, why should I? If it's, if it's, if it's the same to me, whether it's been offered to an idol or not, why do I need to deny myself? Well, I guess Jesus could have asked that question. Why do I need to deny myself? But self wasn't in the picture. He was doing the will of the Father. And that's the place that we need to come to through the grace of God. He said in 1 Corinthians 10, 29, Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, 
just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. So that was his motivation in denying himself something that he could legally do or he had the freedom to do. He was willing to forego and lay aside his freedom for the sake of his brother's conscience, that they would be saved. We don't choose to withhold, eat. we don't choose not to eat something just to please a person, but we're to do that for the glory of God. At Camp Kedron, sometimes there's a vegetarian day. Now, those who, those who go to Camp Kedron who are not vegetarians, it's probably not their favorite day, right? They're, they're like, ah, you, you can, and it depends what sort of attitude you have, right? As a Christian, I can resent the menu. I can be embittered and complain, or I can thank God for all the good food he provided to eat that day. So it's a matter of perspective. You don't have to like endure vegetarian day because there's vegetarians. But you rejoice in vegetarian day because of all the great food that God has given us. Right? So the perspective is to honor God, not just to please or to comply with someone else. We're to seek the profit of many over our own profit to bring fruit unto salvation. Something that Bill Welsh, Pastor Bill Welsh said at the conference was really cool. He said, if we treated our spouses as God commanded us to treat our enemies, we'd have strong marriages. I was like, oh, that's pretty good. Love your enemies, right? Pray for those who spitefully use you and treat you. And I took that to heart. Wow, well, how much more should we be loving towards those who, whom we love and that we know Christ loves too? Would you say it's your natural inclination to give more grace to those you don't know well? Because the people that you know well, you figure they should know better. Not quite as gracious to them because like, hey, get with the program. You know that I don't like that. Why do you keep doing that? Praise God that he knows us and he still gives us grace. He is gracious and good. Acts 15, verse 30. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch with the letter. They delivered the message. It's evident the people received it because they rejoiced over the encouragement they found. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit to give these commands because it said these necessary things. So it wasn't like, oh, man. For the sake of the Jews, we've got to do all that. That's not how they took it. They were like, right on. We can avoid offending them and we can bring fruit to the, to the kingdom of God through obedience. And, and we're on board. They were in agreement. What a joy. You know, God has encouragement for those who hear and obey. He has encouragement for you. If we don't delight to obey what God says, we won't find that very encouraging when he instructs us to do something, would we? But there's great encouragement. There's been many times where I've given a message and I thought, man, 
that's it's a hard passage. You know, it's cutting. It's definitely, it's got a strong edge to it. And many times someone will come up and go, wow, that was so encouraging. And I'm like, wow. It definitely wasn't anything that I said. But the Lord, because of the agreement in your heart with the Holy Spirit, you are able to receive that. And that's that's the encouragement that we find. So it's not a soft or, um, I guess, mushy message. We can take the full strength of God's word and find great encouragement in it when we're in agreement with God. Because we will then be in agreement with what he's saying. We'll say, right on, bring it. Like, I delight to hear what God has to say. The messengers were described as prophets. They exhorted and strengthened the people with many words. We need this. We need people to exhort us, to to challenge us, to move us in the right direction, to urge us forward in our walk. And I see this with a physical fitness, let's say. Remember when I would have baseball training or during cricket matches, the music is pumping the trainer is, you know, doing the aerobics and shouting out orders to people, and they're going through the circuit training. They're boxing and they're stair stepping, and they're all, all different physiques, probably all different fitness goals. Uh, but they're all doing something together to improve, to stay fit. And some people find that alone they're not able to stay as fit and stay motivated. So they get a personal trainer or get a gym membership. And then they're able to stay active, and that that helps them be motivated. They know they need someone to push them beyond where they'll be on their own. And that's what Silas and Barsabas were as well. Paul, Barnabas, Judas, Silas, nor I or anyone here is the standard of peak spiritual fitness. Only Jesus is. And so he's the one that we're to look to. And he's given us one another to exhort and to strengthen one another in love and grace. And the Holy Spirit provides guidance. We get the truth through the word of God, but we also need one another. We really need each other. And that was really revolutionary in my mind. It was, I guess, it's pride where I would think, I can contribute something to the body of Christ by the grace of God. But I didn't realize that God wanted to use other people to contribute his grace to me, to contribute to me. So praise the Lord that he has everybody here for a purpose and a reason, to contribute and to exhort, to strengthen through the love of Christ. I need encouragement that God has to provide through you, and perhaps God has an exhortation for you that he wants to give through me. And so as we walk in agreement with the Spirit, we'll be ministering to each other. So God brought unity, agreement out of a troubling disagreement. We walk in the fear of fear of the Lord and love. We can be a viable part of the body of Christ. We see the church sending back greetings to the church in Jerusalem. And in this expression, they wanted to be close. They wanted to communicate. Silas, he ends up staying in Antioch instead of returning to Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas, they kept teaching and preaching the word of God with many others, it says. So there were a lot of people teaching, a lot of people exhorting and strengthening the body. Would you agree that there's a degree of coordination between parts of the body to prepare a meal and to eat it? We don't all have the same coordination. 
when it comes to that. Most of us are pretty good at eating, just speaking for myself. But you think about the role of the hand in eating. Does it receive any immediate gratification through the process of eating? Not really. The hand is just facilitating the mouth having easy access to the food. And it's like your teeth, you may like to crunch something. Some people really like crunchy things. Um, some people don't like to hear crunchy things. Um, you know, the tongue, you may be able to taste something. It could be good or bad, depending on how it was made. But really, those are just part of the process of getting that food inside the body to be processed and to provide strength to every part of the body. Because if you don't eat, your teeth fail. Your, your strength weakens. We, we have to be, we should be rejoicing and privileged and, and seeing it as a great honor bestowed upon us by God to be a part of the body, to be part of his team. Where Jesus is the head and he says, you're part of me. Whatever your role is, whatever role God has called you to do, you do it with all your might unto the Lord. Are you still pleased that God chose you to be on the team? That he picked you? You guys ever picked teams and, you know, some people were the favored ones because they were probably good. Or somebody was chosen because they were kind of the charity pick just to, you know, and you knew it. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm the token kind of average player that's being chosen now. Thanks, but no thanks. God chose you because he loves you. He wants you to be part of his body, and he has things for you to do, to be encouraged and to provide encouragement to others. Let's not let that get old. We're like, you know what? The people aren't pulling their weight on this team. I don't see people really doing what they should be doing. Well, as part of the team, are you doing what God has told you to do? A team's defined as a group of people with complementary skills required to complete a task, a group that's working towards a common goal. The temptation is, if the team is lousy, to leave the team or to become embittered towards players on the team or to say, we can't put everyone out at the boundary. Can't we? Don't we have any bowlers here? Don't we have anyone that can uh, be a goalie? You know, and you can't all be goalies either. Like, if we're going to work together, we need to be in agreement with the Lord. And let's, how things would be different, how might your perspective change if you chose to love your teammates and extend grace like God's given to you? And it could be a team at work. It could be your family. Will you give grace like God's given to you? Praise the Lord we can by his grace. Acts 15, 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. After a while, being in Antioch, Paul speaks to Barnabas and says, Hey, we should go back to every place that we've gone during our missionary journey and see how they're doing. Follow up. See that they're making disciples. See how those elders are going. And Barnabas is like, Sounds great. Let's bring John Mark. And Paul's like, Wait a second. 
don't you remember that we were in Pamphylia? He bailed on us, and he went back to Jerusalem. I don't think it's a good idea. And Barnabas is like, no, no, he definitely should come. Um, and they, they weren't willing to budge on this one. It wasn't a doctrinal issue, but it was a personal conviction. And it said that the contention became so sharp, they parted company. Barnabas showed grace to Mark, but perhaps to Paul it appeared to be nepotism because they were cousins. So he's like, man, he's not the guy for the job. He shouldn't be coming. He wasn't, he didn't do well before, so I don't think it's a good idea. And they just didn't agree. And uh, the Bible doesn't say exactly why they disagreed, but at a point they decide, they just said, we got to go separate ways. And really that's tragic. If Paul and Barnabas could have a sharp contention in part ways, then it follows such conflicts are not beyond us. We too can get to a point where we, we separate. Uh, and God forbid that we should use this separation between Paul and Barnabas to justify our flesh or to excuse sharpness in disputes that we have with other believers. Like we would say, well, I've heard people appeal to this, saying, well, you know, we had a bit of a disagreement with a bit of a shrug. Yeah, kind of like Paul and Barnabas, and we had to leave. And I'm like, that's terrible. That's not good. I I wouldn't use this as support for that disputes are of the Holy Spirit, because if they were both walking in step with the Holy Spirit, there's nothing here that says this contention came of the Spirit. We do see sometimes, like in the nation of Israel, where it was of the Lord that the ten tribes would go to the northern kingdom because God was judging them. He was judging the southern country. Uh, he was judging them for their sin and their, uh, you know, Rehoboam, and that he was going to give David a lamp. He was going to keep his word, but the northern kingdom would be separated. So that was of the Lord. But this one, we don't see that it's of the Lord. So let's not use this to justify sharpness or strong contentions. But it does appear that they were not embittered or hostile towards each other, that they remained friends. And because if they had been embittered, they would not have been of much use for the kingdom of God. But they were commended by the church. They still were getting along, but they chose to switch uh, partners. It's evident that God was working in both of them as he worked through them. And we need that. We need God to be working on us, to be changing us. And we see that Paul came around at a point. Later, he realized that John Mark was profitable for the ministry in several places. And there's one place in 2 Timothy 4.11, he says, Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. So who changed? I'd say both of them changed. John Mark was not the same John Mark. But sometimes can't we judge people by an old mistake? Say, you bailed on me before, you're not the one now. But the change also wasn't Paul, right? His perspective, where he realized, hey, this guy is useful and I want him around me. Before he didn't want to go on a trip with him, but here he's like, he's profitable for me in the ministry. Bring him along. He's the one person he asked for. So may the Lord also bring us around where we have something maybe in the back of our heads and let's, let's give grace. The result of the disagreement. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed being commended by the brethren to the grace of God.
This is the last mention of Barnabas and Mark in the book of Acts. Paul chose Silas to accompany him, who was a leading man among the brethren. We read that he was a prophet. Likely he spoke Greek, which would be really useful for where they were going. In the next chapter, we learn Silas also was a Roman citizen. I learned a new word this week. I'm always open for new words. Let's see if I can even say it right. He was an ammun... Oh, boy. Ammunesis. Ammunesis, which means to be the penman for someone to dictate to. So I'm not going to drop that in casual conversation. I'll probably just leave it right there. Oh, you're an ammunesis. I can't even say it. But there is a word for it. Yeah. Secretary's fine, Paul. I think that's a good one. Secretary Silas. Peter dictated the epistle of one Peter to Silas, and Peter also called him a faithful brother. And that's really the high calling we have as believers, to be faithful in what God's called us to do. Now, we're just going to go into the first five verses of the next chapter because that's the, I guess, the natural break. Acts 16.1. Then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. But his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Paul and Silas traveled to Derby, then Lystra. That's the place where Paul had healed the lame man, where he had been stoned and miraculously recovered. And they found in Lystra a disciple named Timothy, who was well spoken of. Paul wanted Timothy to keep going on with them. And so he circumcised him because of the Jews that were in that region. They knew his father was Greek, and it would be very offensive. They would not have any fellowship or access to them if they knew having a Jewish mother and being uncircumcised, they would have no dealings with him. So out of love for those people and an attempt to reach them with the gospel, uh, Paul was led to circumcise him, and Timothy submitted to being circumcised. Timothy did not have to be circumcised to be saved, but he was willing to do so to strengthen the church. That was the situation. So it's very situational. Circumcising believers was not a common practice of Paul. Like, well, if we're going to be going to Jewish region, we must circumcise. Because we read um, in Galatians 2.3, Yet not even Titus, who is with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So as we're led by the Spirit, there will be opportunities for us to uh, perhaps sacrifice something to reach others with the gospel and the truth. Paul and Timothy practiced what Paul preached in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 and 20. He wrote, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. So it wasn't to impress them. It was to win them. It was so he would have an opportunity to bring the gospel in these areas where they had not received Christ. Led me to think, are we flexible to the leading of the Holy Spirit to make such sacrifices as he deems necessary to be his faithful witnesses? Even something like that, where it means cutting off a part of you. Being willing to 
to face some painful ordeal to the end that others would come to Christ. We see in all these passages, as Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas went, the church was strengthened when they heard the word. They were all encouraged. So walking in God's love and grace, it doesn't make us soft. It makes us strong. That's the strong fellowship is the one that walks in love and grace. So for a point of application, please turn to Romans 13. We'll start in verse 1 for context, but our focus will be verses 7 and 8. There's something pretty amazing about God's love and grace that we delight to receive it, but we can struggle to give it. And in when we give the love of God and the grace of God to people, it will require faith to do so. And it will not be appealing to our flesh. Yet God, he, he uses that step of faith in showing grace to somebody to, to knock off our rough edges as we are making allowance for other people to have them. Verses 13, so Romans 13 verse 1, this is the, the context. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. For the sake of time and focus, we're just going to go to verse 7. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Most people try to avoid being in debt. If they are in debt, they want to be out of debt. They seek to be out, they'll work to be out of debt. And when we think of debt, the context is usually always money. Even if you've paid off your bills, you've, that you own that car outright, your mortgage has been paid off, you remain in debt to God and to every other person on the planet. You owe. You owe God and you owe everybody. We owe to love them. We use the term, the, so to owe, it means to be indebted to, to be obliged. We use the term, maybe say, much obliged, like saying, thank you, I owe you one. Right? That's what being obliged means. It means to be bound in duty or in law, compelled, constrained, indebted. We're called as believers to give all honor and glory to God. We're commanded to pay our taxes because God has instituted and ordained government. Then Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. We don't owe people love because they have done something that we're obligated to repay. But because of the wealth of God's love and grace that he's poured out on us freely. We're indebted to love everyone. That's how much love God has given you. He's given you that much love. So much love that you're indebted to love him and everyone on the planet. To love everyone. 
God help me to explain the unexplainable. If I owe a person $100, and if I pay them $100, then I am debt-free, right? I'm not obligated to them anymore. I'm free of the debt. But God has given us grace beyond money that perishes. He sent his own son Jesus to die for our sins, to atone for them with his own blood. The love and grace that he's given us cannot be measured because it's infinite. But seeing that we have received in full what is infinite and cannot be measured, our obligation and duty and calling is to love others as we have been loved. And that extends to everyone. Wow. So it's something that cannot be measured, but we've received to the full. He's given it to us, an infinite amount of love. Can't weigh it, can't measure it. There's no end to it. And so this limitless love, therefore, is to pour out from our lives upon all others. We'll never be free of the debt of love that we owe God and others because of the great love that he's shown us. We'll never be free of that debt no matter how much you do. There's no end to the grace period you receive from God, and therefore uh, the grace isn't supposed to end with us. And love is not avoiding conflict or confrontation. Love requires discipline. So loving your children, it says if you spare the rod, you hate your son. So love in God's eyes is not what's put forth as love by the world, but it's a love that is born out of grace and and kindness. I love that God loves us by grace, not primarily because of my relation to him. So he doesn't love me just because I'm his kid, because I'm a child of God. That's not the primary reason why God loves me. He loved me before I was a child of God, right? He loved me when I was dead in trespasses and sins. He loves me then, and he loves me now. He has continued to love. And he has kept his word, hasn't he? He's kept his promises to us, but he doesn't love us just because he's promised to. He says, I've loved you first, and I still love you. He keeps giving us grace. Oh, the love that sought me. Oh, the blood that bought me. Oh, the grace that brought me to the fold of God. Let's be in agreement with God on this, that he has given us such grace. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. And that through us, others would also receive of this grace. They would get a taste of that limitless grace that comes through faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the grace that you've given us, that even when we do have disagreements, and Lord, you know our thoughts, you know our judgments, you know our our rebellion and our, our wayward hearts. Thank you for giving us love. Thank you for giving us grace, for calling us, for seeking us, for purchasing us, and for redeeming us and and all that you've done. Lord, help us to be overwhelmed with how good you are and even overwhelm us with our faults, Lord, that we might see how good you are, that we have failed terribly, and yet you still love us, that the grace period will never end when we're in your presence because you are gracious and good. Lord, show us where we have uh, been showing ungrace to others, where we have withheld love. 
where we have remembered offenses against us instead of uh, releasing that person from our judgment. Lord, I pray that we would be in agreement in these things. We would be encouraged and strengthened that you've given us these things to do. As the early church was told to, to watch the things they ate and to avoid fornication, Lord, I pray that you would cause us to, to rejoice to do these necessary things, to love one another as you love us and to give grace freely as you have given it. How good you are, Lord. How awesome in all your ways. Thank you for enabling us to do what we cannot do. May we begin to to dive deeper into your grace and your love, that it might truly flow from us to win others and to strengthen the body in Jesus' name. Amen.